morning. So today we're going to be going through, uh, covering the verses of, uh, verses 5 through 8 of Jeremiah. Um, actually not 7 through 8, but 5 through 8. Um, but uh, the verses may sound familiar because they echo a couple of the uh, verses from Psalms we just read this morning. Uh, David gives his description of the godly man versus the ungodly man in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 1. And I'm going to go ahead and just reread a few of those verses right now. Uh, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. One of the great attributes of, uh, of the Bible is how God uses the things that we see in his creation every day to help us visualize and understand what he's telling us. Another great attribute is the fact that God must know we learn by repetition which is why we see so many themes carry through the Bible from beginning to end. So go ahead and turn to, Je to Jeremiah 17, uh, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to leave it up on the screen for most of the message because we'll be referring back to those verses throughout the message. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. In verse 5, we are told what causes a man to be cursed. A man who does not trust the Lord, but trusts man, his own knowledge or others around him. Someone who does not seek God's wisdom, but worldly wisdom. A man who looks to his flesh for his strength. In Galatians 5, Paul describes what a cursed man may look like. He writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. So since the beginning of man, since the beginning, man has gone out of his way to try to manage on his own. There is story after story in the Bible that shows God telling men what to do and men not listening and doing what they think is right. You have Adam and Eve, Cain, Lot, Pharaoh, King Saul, King David. The apostles, the list goes on and on. It's one of the curses that we carry since the fall. We simply cannot listen or do what we are told. One of the things that we also see in these stories is that that usually doesn't end well for the folks that don't listen to God, specifically for those that don't repent or have a relationship with God. Most of the book of Jeremiah is God describing how Israel has forsaken him and what he is going to do to Israel because of it. In this verse, just as David did in Psalm 1, Jeremiah writes God's description of what an ungodly man looks like compared to a godly man. So interesting thing about this verse is, how does man become cursed? It isn't God's doing. God isn't cursing him. Man curses himself by not obeying. For instance, in the case of Adam and Eve, they made the choice to eat from the tree of knowledge. Let's read the verse again. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. 
It doesn't read, cursed is the man that God told to trust in man. We make the decision to trust in ourselves. So often we look at all the stories in the Bible and we say, how could those folks back then make the decisions they did when they had God himself speaking to them? They had miracles and even Jesus, and they still made bad decisions and chose themselves over God. Truth is, we are even more accountable because we have a written account of all those bad decisions, all those miracles, all those stories of who God spoke to and the words of Jesus himself at our fingertips. And we still find ourselves relying on the things of this world. Jeremiah gives a description in verse 6 of what a cursed man is like. Like a shrub in the desert, he shall dwell in parched places, a barren, uninhabited, salt land. The point that sticks out to me most in this passage is that he's alone. He doesn't, it doesn't read that he's, a, he's, a, <clears throat> he's with a bunch of other shrubbery out in the desert, but he's a lone shrub in the desert. Nothing around that he can rely on, no water, nothing but barren, salty earth. He's deserted. In Psalm 1, it refers to the cursed as the wicked and compares them to the chaff that the wind drives away in verse 4. Truth of it is, there isn't anything or anyone in this world that we can depend 100% on. No matter who, what, where, and when, things of this world will always let us down in one way or another. And this includes our family and friends. There's only one that, it can we, that we can truly depend on, and often we second-guess him. So we should all be feeling a little convicted now, but don't worry, good news is on the way. Let's look at the next couple verses. The next verse tells us what qualifies a man to be blessed. No big surprise here in verse 7. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. This is the man that gives his whole life over to God. He doesn't just put God in charge of his life. God is his life. So what exactly does that mean? What is the difference between a man who trusts in God and a man whose trust is God? So we're going to do a little demonstration here. I'm sure you guys have seen this before, but we're going to do it again because it's a great illustration. Uh, <clears throat> Elijah's going to come up and give me a hand. So Elijah... Go ahead and start to sit in that chair. Don't sit all the way, just start. So at this point, Elijah is trusting in the chair. Trusting in the chair, the chair is going to hold him weight, but he hasn't committed. He's still relying on his legs to hold himself up. But he's starting to trust. There's a level of commitment there. Go ahead and sit, Elijah. Now Elijah's sitting in the chair. Trusts in the chair, still relying on himself, though, because his feet are still on the ground. That chair would collapse. Elijah might be able to catch himself. Now lift your feet up. Now Elijah's completely relying on that chair to hold up his weight. His trust is the chair. Thanks. When we say we trust in God, we are still holding on to some of that responsibility. We are still taking some of that burden on ourselves. We feel that we have the obligation to trust. When we say our trust is God, we completely give everything over to God, even our own ability to trust. Essentially, he does the trusting for us. That way, we can't mess it up. So let's look at verse 8 and what Jeremiah describes a blessed man to look like. He is like a tree planted by water. As one would expect, this is a complete contrast to the description of the cursed man, the lone shrub in a barren wasteland. 
So I was listening to a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones preparing for this message, and he pointed out something that I overlooked when reading these verses. It's the word planted. The verse doesn't read that he, the blessed man, is like a tree by the water. It reads that he is like a tree planted by the water. Let's look back at the cursed man in verse 6. The cursed man wasn't like a tree planted in the desert. He was like a tree in the desert, or a shrub in the desert. The word planted means, the word planted means something here. It means something had to happen. There had to be an intervention or action of some kind for that tree to be located by the water. The point is the tree didn't just show up by the water on its own. Someone chose to put it there. Has anyone ever planted a tree before? specifically a large tree. A considerable amount of work must be done to plant a tree. It all starts with digging a hole. Sometimes the soil can be rocky or clay. Sometimes it takes a little more than a shovel. Sometimes it's necessary to have a pickaxe because the soil is hard to dig in. Jones compared this excavation to the likes of conviction. When God begins to work on us, and we begin to have a self-awareness, God's Spirit begins to open the eyes of our hearts. We start to see our own failures and our inability to handle everything on our own. Another important step to plant a tree is that it needs soil. It needs to be amended so the tree can have a fertile ground to grow in. Jesus uses the example of good soil in the parable of the sower in Mark 4.20 where it says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, and 60-fold, and 100-fold. So where does the tree get planted? Jeremiah tells us the tree is planted by the water, or specifically a stream. So if you ever dug a hole next to the stream or river, you will know it's a very loamy soil full of nutrients. It is a good soil. But it isn't just the soil that's important here. The water is what provides life. So interesting thing about trees, sorry, the interesting thing about trees, they have an uncanny way of seeking and finding a water source. If anyone has ever had to dig up a sewer line that was plugged with tree roots, you know what I mean. Trees can find the smallest crack or even a weakness in a pipe, and they will push the smallest of roots through that pipe to get to the source of water and nutrients. Trees have a need for water and the orientation to grow towards it. But life is in the water itself. All the need and drive there is won't keep the tree alive if there's no water. Same goes for us. We have the need and desire to grow towards God. But the need and the desire is not the life. God alone is the life. Often Jesus refers to himself as the living water. We see it in John 4 when he is speaking to the woman from Samaria. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In John 7, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That is what the water is in this verse. The stream of water the tree is planted by is the life. It is Jesus. And Jeremiah says that the tree sends its roots out by the stream. The tree go grows towards the water, just as we grow towards Jesus. When God opens our heart and sets his spirit on us, we will find ourselves rooted in Christ. We have a direct line to that living water. And just as a tree does not fear when the heat comes, neither should we fear when trials or persecutions come. 
When we are rooted in Christ, we should be joyful in our trials, trusting in God that he will continue to work through us. When we continue to study God's word and seek to have a better understanding of what God is telling us, we build a better foundation so that we can weather those hard times, just like a tree that grows a strong root system so that it can weather harsh storms. When Christine and I started to come to Icon Church, we went through the book By This Name with Jason. So others have probably gone through that as well. I remember going through that study very vividly because Jason had a bunch of cool, shiny props that went along with that study. But one of my favorite props was the least impressive, was a tree branch with dried withered leaves on it. The tree branch represented us separated from God. Just like the shrub in the desert, the leaves were dried and withered. It's a great analogy of our separation from God. When you cut a branch from a living tree, the leaves don't immediately wither. They will stay green for a while, and it takes some time for the leaves to start to wither once they're separated from the tree. Inevitably, though, the branch will die without that life lying to water and nutrients. We are the withering tree branch, and Jesus is our lifeline. Jesus is the reason, as Jeremiah says, that our leaves remain green, and just as a tree does not need to fear in times of drought because it's planted next to the stream, we do not need to fear in times of trial because we are rooted in Jesus. Jeremiah actually refers to the Lord as the fountain of living water just a few verses down in verse 13. The last line of verse 8, Jeremiah writes, the tree does not cease to bear fruit. So this is the line where the application of all the rest of the verse becomes visible and we begin to see it in our lives. This is where the rubber meets the road. We read earlier what a cursed man of the flesh looks like from Galatians 5. Paul goes on to write in that same verse about what a man that has been blessed with the Holy Spirit looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we truly put our trust in Jesus and our hearts opened by the Holy Spirit, if we focus on God's word and root ourselves in scripture, we should bear fruit, as Paul said. Love. And this is agape love Paul is referring to here. There are other Greek words for love, such as eros meaning sexual love and philos meaning brotherly love, but agape love, according to the Vine's Expository Dictionary, is perfect love, which only God can give. It expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being, God, towards entirely unworthy objects, us, producing and fostering a reverential love in them towards the giver, God, and practical love towards those who are partakers of the same, other believers, and a desire to help others to seek the giver. Joy. This joy isn't based on circumstances, but the realization of God's favor and grace in our lives. James speaks to this in his epistle in chapter 1. He writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness having its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Regardless of our circumstances, our joy lies in the fact that our full trust is Jesus and that he will never fail us. He is our source of joy and our living water. Peace. Peace results from allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds. When we have peace, we are free from worry, 
about finances, safety, salvation, and our eternal life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is seen in the peace that comes, even when our circumstances are far from tranquil. Patience. Like Paul, we have all benefited from Christ's immense patience with us. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life is seen in our ability to persevere, be patient, steadfast, and long-tempered. Kindness. We should have moral goodness, integrity, usefulness. If the Holy Spirit is in us, we should be a light to the world, someone that others look to when they are surrounded by darkness. Goodness. Through the Holy Spirit's work in a Christian's life, we are inspired to do good things, not out of obligation, but out of appreciation and obedience. Our goodness should be a response to the gift of salvation that we receive in Christ Jesus. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a character trait that combines dependability and trust based on our confidence in God and his eternal faithfulness. Our actions should reflect that of Jesus because he was faithful. We should be faithful. Gentleness. Sometimes defined as meekness. This is often seen in a person of great strength that has the disposition to control themselves to live in harmony with others. We see this character trait in Jesus. We hear it from Jesus himself in Matthew 11, verses 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Self-control. The ability to control one's body and its sensual appetites and desires, physically and mentally, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This speaks directly to the description of the cursed man or the man that trusts in flesh. It is the Holy Spirit that is given to us by the grace of God that gives us the ability to control the desires of the flesh. As believers in Christ, these attributes should show in our daily lives. These are the fruits that we should bear if we are rooted in Christ. Will we be perfect at this? I, for one, can tell you that I fall short of this every day. But, continued with the tree theme here, if anyone has planted a fruit tree before, you know that fruit trees don't produce lots of fruit right away. It takes time for the tree to mature and grow. The soil needs to be amended and the tree needs to be fertilized. The roots need to grow and find that good source of water. And as the root system grows, so does the canopy of the tree. And eventually that tree will begin to bear fruit. And as that tree grows, it's pruned back to encourage more growth, and it bears more fruit. It's a process. But over time, evidence from all the care and love that is put into that tree is revealed in the fruit that it produces. So in conclusion, what is it to be blessed? It's being chosen. God excavates away the rock and debris in our soul, That makes us toward the things of this world. And then he plants his Holy Spirit in our hearts. It is the desire to grow towards Jesus and the ability to do so. God puts the good soil in our lives to help us grow closer to Jesus. He amends us with his word and places other believers around us. It is is being given that direct source of living water. As we continue to study God's word, and strengthen our foundation in him, our roots grow deep into the soil and into that life-giving water that never fails.
which is Jesus. It is never ceasing to bear fruit. The more we mature as Christians, and the more our lives should reflect Jesus. We should never cease to bear fruit, even in times of trial. As God trims and clips us back, we should have the confidence and joy and complete trust that he is only doing so, so that we may flourish and bear more fruit to glorify him through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together to share your word. We ask that you strengthen our trust in you and that you continue to work through us in both good times and bad. Help us to find joy in all we do so that we can reflect the likeness of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his, pray this in his name. Amen.